We are in the middle of a series. Actually, we're finishing up a series called Doing Life Together. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, together? Yeah. Come on, do it. turn to the person behind you and say, together. Yeah. You'll see how well that worked. And so we had four weeks. This will be our fourth week. And so for those of you that weren't here with week one, two, and three, I just want to review for just a moment so you're on the same page. Nothing worse than sitting around with people that are in a conversation and you don't know the backdrop of the story. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I was like, what are they talking about? And so let me give you the backdrop. So doing life together. We started with the premise that God himself operates in a community because there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They operate together as one. And that the Word of God says in the book of Genesis, let us create man in our image. Let us create man in our own image. We were created to do community. We don't really work by ourselves very well. That's why uh, the worst thing they could ever do for you is put you in isolation because we were made to commune. And then when Jesus came to the planet and he died on the cross and he started his church, if you will, we see all throughout the book of Acts that the early church communed together. In fact, Jesus calls us his body and he calls each and every one of the individuals in the church a part of the body. We attach in. And it's, it, it's, I always say it like this, a kidney has no value sitting in a Petri dish. It has to be within the body to function, to live. It'll sit out there in that Petri just, just for a season until it dies off. And so, so many people in this era of Christianity in the United States especially says, oh, I love God, but I don't, I hate church. I don't like the church. I, the church is rude. The church is this. The church is that. And what they don't understand that they're doing is they're actually cutting themselves off from the life source because we are the body of Christ. We were made to commune together. And then we moved into the second week. If we were made to commune together, then why and how do we handle these relationships? And just to reteach you, there are four stages in every relationship. First stage is the honeymoon stage. All the newly married people say, yeah, three of you. Okay, good. So you can find the honeymooners, the the newlyweds, because they're still smiling. Those of us who've been married a long time, we just say, hold on, baby, hold on. It'll be all right. You'll still be smiling, so just a different smile. So go, and you're like, some of you are in the honeymoon stage here at Church on the Hill. You walked in a couple weeks ago or a month or so ago, and you're like, this is awesome. I feel the presence of the Lord. It feels like home. Oh, this is amazing. That's just simply because we hadn't hit conflict stage yet. And, and we hadn't offended you yet. But a couple more weeks from now, you'll be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I can't stand these people. My coffee was cold. My kids' ministry didn't even let me get in, sign in. Somebody took my parking spot. This is supposed to be the church. Here you go, another church. Why? Because you moved into conflict stage. And most people don't know how to fight through conflict, fix conflict stage. But if you will fight through conflict in a marriage at work with relationships, here in the body of Christ. If you'll fight through, what will happen is you'll bond. And those of us that have been married 20, 30 years will tell you, listen, conflict is inevitable, but if you'll fight through it, you'll stay together. You say, you know what? I'm going to stay with you no matter how bad, no matter how much I feel like you hurt me. I'm going to stay together no matter how, how difficult it's been. We're going to stay together. We're going to fight to stay together. Then what happens is you bond. And you bond so deeply and so magnificent. And you see churches, when they finally get past all the disunity, when they finally get past all the backbiting and slandering, get past the conflict, they actually bond. And that's when they start doing great things for God, the production stage. That's when marriages start really producing. And, they, and, they, and my wife and I now, we finish each other's sentences. I know where she's going before she even says she's going there and then vice versa. It's magnificent. But so many people quit in the conflict stage. So in our second part of our series, uh, you need to go back and listen to it. If you weren't here, you can look at it on the app. And that is, you, we taught how to fight through the conflict stage. What does the Bible say? So we're not really good at conflict. That's why we walk away or we, or we make a stink or something like that. But Jesus taught us how to go through conflict. It's inevitable. And there's a Jesus way and then there's our worldly ways. And if you'll go back and listen to that, you'll learn how to actually have proper confrontation. We should com- confront each other. Matthew chapter 18, we should confront it. If your brother sins against you, go and talk to him about it. Go deal with that. And most of the time in the church, we don't. We just gossip about it and slander about it. And it wasn't right. It wasn't fair. And so we begin to create more distrust and more disunity simply because we don't do it the Jesus way. Conflict's inevitable. Learn how to do it the right way. And then last week, we talked about, listen, if we're going to do life together, if we're going to be in relationship, again, church is not a building. Church, church, church is, it's not a meeting. Church is you and me being together. If we're gonna, and we're not good at it. Let's just own it. We're not good at it. Okay, so if we're going to do life together, then we have to realize why are we having so much conflict? And at the end of the day, it comes down to you and I. James, the book of James says it like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
And then he continues on, it comes because of what you want on the inside. And really, the reason why we get compatible with each other, we gossip about each other, the reason why we react and blow up, and the reason why we go and hide because we're mad at each other, the reason that is is because of core fears. Every one of us have core fears. And for example, if I want you to like me, guess what that creates on the other side of that want? A fear that you won't like me. So the moment I perceive that you don't like me, I begin to react. Each and every one of us have core fears. But the Bible says he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So you and I need to learn how to destroy those core fears, how to keep our buttons from being pushed. And in that portion, last week of the series, you can really learn how to do that. And I promise you, it'll increase, it'll increase your relationships in a powerful way. You'll start doing life a little bit better with your spouses, with your coworkers, and especially here in the body of Christ. So as we close out this series, Doing Life Together, it's critical that we grasp the heart of the Father. What is important? If we're, why are we together? Why did God put his body together? What is so important to him that we would all come together and do it as a unified front? Weeks ago, Miss Jamie and I were engaging in some conversation, and she said, you know, I had this interesting interaction with one of the local church leaders here in the community. And I said, what happened? They said, well, they pulled me aside after one of these meetings, and they said, listen, we've been watching Church on the Hill. Church on the Hill keeps growing. People are getting changed. It's, like, magnificent. Our church is almost 100 years old, and we're actually dying. Do you know that 80% of the churches in America are in, in decline? And, and this person, very sweet, very humble, said, what are y'all doing that we're not doing? And so Miss Jamie just started asking questions. They start to, oh, we're doing outreach to the homeless people. We're doing all these great things. And Miss Jamie said, well, let me ask you a question. If, um, if people come into your church, come visit on a Sunday, are your people nice? And the person went, well, there's some of them are. She said, well, how many? Maybe about 10%. So 90% of the people in your church are not nice. She goes, start there. And she said, and let me ask you this. Of those 10, 15 or so people that are nice, do they care about hurting people? Do they care that people are going to die and spend eternity in hell away from God? And she goes, well, probably 10 or 15 of them really would care about that. Jamie says, there you go. Then all you have to do is get those 10 or 15 people to open up their heart, open up their life, open up their schedule to hurting people out in our community and love on them and begin to just help them know God, know who he is. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We don't go save people. We just point people to Jesus. He saves people. Amen. And she said, if you just do that, the lady was like, that's what we're going to do. And took off running. Let's go talk to the pastor and set up in something new. With that being said, today, as we jump into this teaching, I've actually titled it. Are you with me? Say yes. There is room for more. There is room for more. Our key scripture comes out of the book of Luke, chapter 19 and verse 10. And it says it like this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Jesus, I ask you that over the next couple moments that you would help me articulate your heart, your desire, and your word properly to your people. Jesus, I ask you that you would give us revelation of how important hurting people are for you. Lord God, that we would stop being so exclusive and begin to be inclusive. That we would stop creating barriers and say, only if you jump this high and act this good can you get in this fence. God, I pray that we would become inclusive and that hurting people could find the living God. Use us today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. If you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 14, we're going to read a large passage of Scripture today. I think you should read the Bible in church. Don't you agree? Shouldn't, that, shouldn't we read the Word of God? And so we're going to read this passage. It's a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. Uh, and, and the parable simply means that Jesus tells a story that has kingdom principles connected to it. He's trying to bring out kingdom principles or things that matter to Father God by telling a story that we can relate to. So he's telling a story or a parable in his culture, in his time, so that the people can grasp it. So we're going to try to translate it just a little bit into our culture. But turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 14 and verse 16. Luke 14, 16. Do you got it? Say, I got it. 
If you're looking, say, I'm looking. If you forgot your Bibles, no worries. We got it on the screen. It says it like this. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. Everybody say excuses. Say it out loud. Say excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Verse 19, another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Verse 20, still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the master, excuse me, the owner of the house became angry. Say it with me. He became angry and ordered his servants, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Verse 22, the servant said, sir, you have ought, your order has already been done, and read it out loud, but... There is still room. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get to taste of my banquet. Now, there are three major characters in this. We see the master who represents Father God. We see the servant who represents us, the believers. And we see those who had been invited, those that were out on the highways, those who had invited were those who were what we probably would call de-church in this hour. They were those who, um, who were on the outskirts of this banquet that he was inviting them to come to the banquet. And then we go further into those that are outside of the banquet, into those that are in the alleyways, the broken, the crippled, and then further yet into the people who were out in the highways and out in the countryside. So those are the three major character players in Jesus's synopsis or story with, with deep, deep doctrinal meaning. So let's start with the wedding first and foremost. I don't know if you understand what Jesus is talking about, but when you and I die and we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, there'll be this great separation of the goat from the sheep. And God the Father will separate the goats and the sheep. And then all of us who are followers of Jesus, all of us who love the Lord and served him to the best of our ability, we will then enter into the banquet feast of the Lamb. There will be a banquet. Come on, somebody. Prepare for We will partay for years and years. Who knows? It doesn't matter because a thousand years with God is like one day, uh, uh, excuse me, a party planned earth is like one day with God. So who knows how long we'll party. And he's got this great banquet party planned out. And so Jesus is referring to that great banquet in his storyline. And he tells a story about this big wedding feast. And the Bible calls us his bride, the Christians his bride, and calls Jesus, if you will, the groom. So the father, what the father has done is prepared a great banquet. And so what they would do in middle middle Eastern culture in biblical times a little different the way we would have a wedding. These days we have a wedding by renting out a venue or we do something like that. Well, what would happen was the father would the father of that bride would prepare the home, uh, excuse me, of the groom, would prepare that home, would prepare a great place. And and they would have uh, they would kill, they'd bring in the best of all the all the cattle, and they would, I mean, they are grilling up for weeks, days, it doesn't matter. They are preparing this place and, and to the point it could take weeks, it could take months, and they would prepare for this great banquet. If, if you've ever been around a bride as she's preparing for the wedding, she puts some planning into it. Come on, somebody. And so, but the father would do all of this planning. The groom's father would do all of this planning and build, even build onto the house because they wouldn't go to another venue. They'd come to the home. And then what would happen was as this planning is transpiring, all the important people would be invited. They would get, receive an invitation. And it was critical that they RSVP. We want to know how many are coming because we don't know how long we're going to party for. In fact, we find out in Middle Eastern culture, they would, the wedding banquet could take two, three days sometimes. And they would eat. They would stay over the night. I mean, they would just party into the night and they would celebrate and celebrate and celebrate. And so what has happened at this point is that the owner of the house, the master, if you will, has already invited a group of guests. And they typically are the dignitaries. They're the mayor, the city council, people of prominence in the city. Why? Because if you could get people of prominence to come to your 
your, to, your, to your son's marriage, they would be validating your family. They would validate the importance, and they bring wealthy gifts. Come on, somebody. You want rich people coming to bring in gifts. We want the poor people. We'll keep your frog in your pocket. What we want is a new Mercedes. Come on, you got plenty of those to hand out. And so that's kind of the concept here, right? And so as the moment is t- done, it's ready. The, the, it's ready. I mean, them, look, them, them steaks are smelling good. They're about to come off the grill. Then what would happen is, is that the servants would go out and tell everybody, it's ready. Now, you got to understand, their culture wasn't like our culture, where we live from 9 to 5. What they did was they worked as long as there was sunlight. Most of them worked in some type of agricultural uh, situation, whether it been crops or whether it, it, you know, working with animals. They would do business of selling and bartering and things like that. So they pretty much were, they all were all small business owners. So any moment they could adjust their schedule. And in their culture, something of this magnitude would be precedent. It would take precedence. And so what we find is when the servant goes out to tell them it's ready, they begin to make excuses. And Jesus in his storyline, he lays out three excuses. Now what Jesus is sneakily doing in this chapter is referring back to what he talked about in chapter 8 of the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, in chapter 8, Jesus starts telling the story. He says, hey, listen. He says, a sower went out to throw seed. Some fell on good ground. Some fell on rocky ground. And, 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 and that seed didn't grow. And then the ones that fell on good ground came, grew up and produced a harvest. And what Jesus is talking about is God is constantly sending his word out to people, trying to let them know that he loves them, wooing them to himself. And some people will say, mm, nope, I don't want to serve God. I hate him. I don't ever want to be a Christian. Others will say, yes, I want to be. And then they give up and they quit. And Jesus, in explaining that parable, actually says that there are three excuses that people make. And then here in this chapter, he begins to illustrate their excuses. There are three top excuses why people who grew up around the church, people who went to church at one point or another, people who knew God but walked away from him, he gives three excuses why they refuse to go all the way with God and why they refuse to continue going forward in their relationship. And he lays out these three excuses. He starts with the first one in Luke 14, 18. I just bought a field. I got, I, I got to go check on it. The first excuse that people use is life's worries. I got so much going on right now. I just can't be faithful to church. I can't be faithful to God. I don't really have time for that. Of this life. I got to get kids to school. I've got, I'm working two jobs. I'm paying for this house. And the worries of this life literally kill out their relationship with the living God. That's their first excuse. And Jesus requalifies re- it in this passage. Here's the second excuse, and that is life's riches. I have just bought five yoke, and I've got to go. I've got to go work them suckers. If we translate that into our generation, hey, I just got a brand new boat, baby. I've got to be on the lake, make sure it works right. I've got to get the kids out there, make sure this whole thing is working. I just got, I just got Dallas Cowboys season tickets. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. I've got to grill out all Sunday, so I'm just so sorry, and I've got to be committed to that. And what Jesus is talking about is the excuses. So first, the worries of this life than the riches of this life. And I've got to take care of the money and I'm chasing after this and I'm so busy with my new job that I never have time to have a relationship with the Lord. And what happens is it kills out the relationship with the living God. And then he gives the third excuse and that is life's pleasures. Where the, where the young man says, listen, I, I'm, I'm a newlywed man. I, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to make it to the great banquet because I'm a newlywed. Well, in culture, which was unbelievable, newlyweds got to take a year off from work in Jewish culture. I want to be a Jew so bad right now. We could, maybe we could renew our vows tomorrow. (laughs) They got to take a year off from work, and if they were in the military, they didn't have to go for a year back into the military. But what they didn't do was not show up for great festivals in their area that they had RSVP'd for. So he's trying to use that as an excuse. Come on, you know when you really don't want to go with something, you start coming up with, oh, man, I am so sorry. Oh, man, I've got to get the toilet fixed at the house. We are working on it. Listen, get the plunger, and you're done in five minutes. You and I both know good and well that you could have knocked that out if you really wanted to go, but you made excuses. And that's what Jesus is qualifying. Three major excuses that now 2,000 years later we're still making why we won't be close with God. The pleasures of this life. Man, listen, I, I can't tell you how many people I've known who grew up in church and ran off with wickedness. And when I confront them, I say, man, what, what are you doing? Come on, God loves you. Come on back to a relationship. Man, I'm just having too much fun. Man, I'm telling you, I'm having a blast. The pleasures of this life, it's just not worth it. And, and I'll get right with God one day, hopefully before I die. It's amazing to see how blinded they are and the excuses that they use. And so Jesus lines out these three excuses. And then the master is told about these things. So we've got the people the, 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 the guest, if you will, who refuse to come, who make excuses. And then now let's look at the character of the servant. Now the servant, according to this passage of scripture, says that he goes out and they tell them to come. 
And then when we pick back up, they come back to the master and they say, listen, master, they refuse to come. They've come up with excuses. And so the master becomes angry. And so the servant, he says, now listen, what I need you to do is right now, go down in the streets and go get the other good Jewish people to come. Go get the other Jews, not the popular Jews, not the important Jewish people, but in Jewish culture, you would never have anything but Jews come to your Jewish wedding. Come on, are you with me? And you wouldn't have anybody else at your kid's bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, only Jewish people, because the rest of us Gentiles are like, what are you doing? Anyway, so, so, they, so he says, go get the broken Jews, go get the homeless Jews, go get the guys that aren't that important, that don't have any money, go get them. And the servant immediately responds and says, I've already done that i've already done that he says what yep and there is still room there is still room earlier this year miss jamie and i had the privilege to go to jerusalem i mean to israel excuse me and we got to see jerusalem and uh the beauty of it is church on the hill didn't have to pay for it It it's awesome because the ministry of tourism of israel has recognized something that the only people that are going to stick it out with Israel in the years to come are Christians, specifically American Christians. So what they've done is they've carved out in their budget to help finance getting Christian leaders to come over to Israel so that they can view the land and they help finance it. And so we had the privilege this last year of going on one of these trips with some other high-end, very important and popular Christian leaders. We got to be on a tour bus with 50 of them. It was awesome. There were three or four groups of us. It was magnificent. And we didn't pay for it. It was so awesome. It was so, we, we paid a little portion, but they paid for it. And they had some other ministries uh, co-pay for it just so leaders could go and catch the heart and care for the Israeli people the way God still loves them and uh, has always loved them. And so, and so we're, we're, we, we are sitting there with the leaders who organized all these trips. And I sit down with them. I said, hey, listen, this was magnificent. I'd like to bring, I have influence, I have a group of young pastors that I oversee, and I'd like them to get to come on this trip next year. They don't have a lot of money, so the fact that you guys are getting it financed, I really would be blessed if we could be on the trip. And they looked at me and said, Adam, you are the exact type of person we're looking for. We're trying to get more pastors and leaders to come on this. We, would, we definitely are going to get you on a trip, and we're going to get you financed. I was like, yes! So I came back and told all the pastors that I oversee, hey, we're going to get to go. And, I mean, they're making plans. The guys in California are going to fly into Dallas. The guys down in Houston are going to come, come up. i got to tell you something. excited about it. Well, two weeks ago, I get a phone call from the leader of all this organization. And he says, listen, i got to tell you something. I said, what? He said, well, he said, the Ministry of Tourism only had a, a certain amount of budget. And, um, and, and I just got to be straightforward, you didn't make the cut. You and your pastors, you really didn't make the cut. And I, I said, oh, oh, okay. He goes, he said, we were able to get four groups. And he started listing out the leaders on the other four groups that, that were head of the four. And they were very influential people. I mean, they were, they were people much more influential than I am. They were much more powerful than I am. And the moment he starts laying out the list of the ones who got to go and telling me that I didn't make the bus, I didn't make the cut, I felt the depths of that insecurity. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, I felt the rejection of that. And I was thinking, My, man, and I've got to call these guys and tell them, hey, guys, we weren't popular enough. We weren't. We weren't cool enough. We weren't influential enough. We didn't make the cut. The Ministry of Tourism didn't think us as valuable as these other guys. That's, that, that, that thing is just, I'm carrying that in my heart. I'm feeling the disappointment of that. Frank, can I tell you something? There are men and women all over the United States of America who have felt the exclusion of the church, who felt that, you know what, they weren't good enough to make the cut, that they weren't popular enough, that they didn't look the part, act the part, their sexuality confused the part, so we weren't allowing them in. And I promise you, that same feeling that I had not getting to go on the trip, not, and I had to call all my guys and say, we didn't make it. Sorry, we didn't make it. And you could feel the disappointment in them. Because why? Because we were excluded because we weren't quite there. We weren't quite good enough, if you will. And can I tell you, there are hurting people all over this city and the Metroplex who feel like they're just not quite good enough. But the Bible says that the servant came back and he said to the master, there's still room. There's still room. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that there was still room for you and me? Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't go, you know what? Sorry, we're only taking 100 and you're number 101. I, that would be my luck. You know, they shut the door right there like, dang, standing in line for 16 hours and they took 100 and I'm 101. If I'd have known that in advance, I'd have, anyway, so I, I, but I'm here now. Aren't you grateful that Jesus keeps room? He says, for in my Father's house there are many rooms. I go to prepare a place. And I want you to understand something. The master tells the servant, go, 
Find the hurting people. And he says, sir, I've already done that. You know why the servant said he had already done that? Because he knew the master's heart. He knew that the master didn't want any open spaces at the banquet. He didn't want, he didn't want anyone to get left out. And so then the master said, okay then. Then I want you to go out to the highways and the byways. I want you to go past the Jews. I want you to go past the little church people. And I want you to go out there where the Gentiles are at. I want you to go out there where the real crazy people are at. I want you to go out there and reach the real hurting people. And I want them to know that there's a place at my table for them. Go get them. This is the heart of Father God. And can I just tell you something? It is that, that servant, that servant didn't reject that. That servant say, think about the servant. He's been working on a banquet for weeks You don't think he's got a family? You don't think he's busy? You don't think he's got a lot to do? It was supposed to be easy and simple. And he's just going to go tell him, hey, hey, it started. Come on, let's go. But it turned into there's not enough space. So now he's out there. He's having to go outside of his normal schedule. He's He's having to go and do extra work that's outside of his time card. He's going beyond what was he his agreement and his workforce. And he's out there trying to get people to come. And even that didn't fill it up. And so he tells the master, it's still didn't work and the master says well let me give you a whole nother set of job description go way out you mean I've got to drive further out to find more people and he says don't just ask them to come compel them to come compel them get down in their heart and say the master has a great banquet for you please dear sir please dear man come be with us we open up our hearts we open up the floodgates and say come please and even in that moment can you imagine the servant looking going oh my goodness I've got kids to take care of. I've got a schedule I've got to keep. I mean, now you've added to my job description. Servant didn't do that one bit. Why? Because he had the father's or have My question to you and I is, do we have room for hurting people in our life? Or have we packed it all in? We're caring for our kids and our little family and our little jobs that we've left space and closed it out. I'll tell you today, God's asking us to make room for hurting people. God would that none should perish, but all come to eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus said, I came to seek. What was our key verse? I came to seek and to save that which is lost. He, he left the comfort of heaven. He left the empowerment that he had. And he came and he took on the, 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 the shell of a man. And he came and brought himself down in humanity so he could seek and save that which is lost. And then as his servants, as his servants, our heart, our attitude should be, Father, there's still not, there's still open space. Let's go get more. Let's go get more. Why? Because that's the Father's heart. Heart, but so many times we become inclusive. We excuse, exclu, exclusive, excuse me. And we said, nope, no, no, you don't look like us. Nope, no, 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 you don't have our doctrine yet. Nope, no, no, you don't smell like us. Oh, you really smell bad. And so as a result, you really can't come in here. And that's not it. And father, the father said, he said, go get them. I don't care how bad they smell. I don't care if they're Gentiles. Go get them and invite them to my banquet because my table will not have empty spaces. There is room at the cross. I'm so grateful. When I watch those old footages of Billy Graham's uh, crusades and they would sing that song at the, at the end, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. Friend, can I tell you something? It's not the corporate gathering of Christians' job. It's our individual job to open our heart to hurting people these churches that are in decline, it's because that group of people decided it's the pastor's job. Make this thing grow. I'm going to give him a tip. If he preaches good and takes care of my family well, I'll give him a tenth. I'll tip him. And if he doesn't, and what happens is that attitude alone kills the banquet. That attitude alone kills the plan of God. That attitude alone. Each and every one of us have space in our life to help someone who's hurting. To say, I love you. And I want to help you. I want to reach out to you. I want you to know what I know. I'm telling you right now, each and every one of us, were it not for Christ, I'm telling you where I would be. I'd be in prison right by now. Each and every one of us, I know where I would be. Listen, people are like, well, well we can't. Those people smoke dope and do drugs. Well, I would too if I didn't have the power of God flowing through me. 
As hard as this world is, I'd smoke a nickel bag every five minutes just to get to, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, if it weren't for Jesus, if it weren't, if I didn't know the love of the Father, I'd be confused about my sexuality too. I'd be looking for love in all the wrong places too. I would be all over the place. Why? Because I found the life of God. How dare me be exclusive and say, yeah, but you don't have it yet. If you do good enough, maybe we'll let you in the confines. But nope, not until you jump this hoop, do this. That's not at all the master's heart. Let me give you a rundown, the benefits, if you will. Put that on the screen for him. What will happen when you and I open our hearts up to hurting people? When we make room for hurting people, I need you to understand what God has put in his word for you. Number one, God will miraculously care for your needs. The moment that you open up room in your life for hurting people, God will, he will take care of your needs supernatural. Look what he says in his holy word, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. If you'll go back and study the earlier part of that passage, what's happening is, is Jesus is saying, listen, don't chase after the things of this world. He says, listen, don't, why are you worried about what you're going to eat? He says, look at the birds. They don't worry about what they're going to eat, yet the Father feeds them. He says, look at the, look, don't worry about what you're going to wear and how nice you're going to dress or not dress. He says, look at the flowers of the field. He said, God dressed them in all beauty. They're more beautiful than Solomon in all of his glory. He said, how much more will your heavenly father take care of you? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Go do what's important to God. Get the people in. And he'll take care of every one of your needs. He, he, he will take care. Listen, my mom and dad sitting on the front row, I have watched them do this, live their whole life like this. They are so quick to open up their life to hurting people. And can I tell you something? God has given them miracles after miracles. He's taking care of them financially in ways that never thought about. It's like, Pop, you ever going to get a job? I got a job. I'm taking care of Jesus' business. And people giving them cars. They came home off the mission field years ago, didn't have any money, didn't have any jobs. And this couple said, would you come pray with this, uh, this couple that's going through a difficulty in their marriage? And mom and dad went over there and prayed with them and ministered to them. And then ended up the man was a wealthy businessman. He started financing them monthly and gave them a car. I was like, how do you have a car? You just got home from the mission field. Pop said, well, this guy gave it to us. <laughs> See, can I tell you something? If you will take care of God's people and reaching out to the hurting people of the world, he will take care of your needs. He will not be cheated. He will not be slight concerning his promises. He will take care of you. You're so busy trying to make a living. You're so busy trying to just even make it to church that what's happened is you've busied yourself with the space that should have been about opening up to hurting people. And as a result, God has no room to do miracles because you're in the way. And so if you would open up the space loving on hurting people, he'd start doing miracles. Boom. Boom, boom. He'll start dropping in uh, uh, clients that you never could get before. I promise you, I can tell you story after story after story throughout this church of people who said, you know what? I'm going to open up my heart. I'm gonna, I know I'm busy. I know our kids are busy, but we're going to open up our heart and just start loving on some folks. And the moment they did, all the worry about finances, all the worry about jobs, also, it shifted. It was unbelievable. So blessed. It was unbelievable how God does that. Here's the second thing that will happen when you and I begin to open up our lives for hurting people, you and I will begin to fulfill our purpose. 82% of Americans say, I don't know why I'm on the planet. I don't know why I'm here. See, if you don't know why you're here and you don't know what you're after, if you don't know why you exist, then you'll try everything that you can to try to fill a reason for existence. Jesus qualifies in John 15, 16, right here while we're here. He says this. He says, you did not choose me. <laughs> you so stupid. You thought you came in God's sake. No, no, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And then he goes on to say, and I've appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. He says, listen, I picked you. You just responded to my love to you. And now I have appointed you to go and bear fruit, to go and reproduce, to go and influence others with my love. Let them know. Listen, everything that we do, everything that we are is to open up to hurting people so they can know the master. He would that none should perish, but all have eternal life. Paul said it like this. We know the fearful, horrible thing that awaits those who don't believe. So it compels us to preach to all men. Because we know that when they die, they will be spending forever, not just separated from God, but in destruction with burning fire. And so we are compelled. We cannot let this happen. We must go forward and speak truth to hurting people.
when you and I begin to open our hearts to hurting people, open our life, make room in our schedule for hurting people, you'll begin to fulfill purpose. You'll start feeling purpose in it. So, you know, this is what I was created to do. Doesn't matter what I do for a living. This is what really matters in life. Then you'll start looking at your job. Wait, I'm at this job because you're here. <laughs> you'll start looking at the situation that sucks so bad in your life and the neighbor that you're like, I want to murder them. I, I don't know how to say it, Pastor. I don't want to murder them. We had a neighbor like that. This guy built, we, so Pop put up a privacy fence because this guy was always walking around naked in his backyard. Seriously, no, I'm serious. So Pop put up a, a privacy fence so the guy would start not walking around naked. Every time we had Bible study, everybody's like, uh, there's a guy out here naked, you know, we live in a, in a little small subdivision. And uh, we were like, yeah, so dad, dad built a privacy fence. He built a platform above our privacy fence. And would sit out butt naked. Om, om, Ken. Pop kept loving him, kept loving him, kept opening up his heart to him. Finally, Ken said, whatever you have, I feel the energy is better than what I have. Pop introducing him to Jesus. <laughs> he got radically saved. His wife got saved. His kids got saved. I think he's still pastoring today. What a great man of God. Why? Open up our heart. Here's the third thing that God promises will transpire when you and I open our hearts up to hurting people, and that is we will be empowered. We will be empowered. Acts 1 and 8. I'm going to help you doctrinally here, but let's get into it. But ye, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Okay, so this is talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So a lot of people teach the baptism in the Holy Spirit that the whole thing is about tongues. You get these people talking about, well, you know, you got the baptism when you got tongues. The goal of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was never tongues, it was power. So what it is, it says, and you shall receive what? Power, not tongues. Power. And so, to help your doctrine a little bit, when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes and lives and abides in you. For those of you that have never been wicked, you don't really, it's not as significant of a moment for you. But those of us that were wicked and we got saved, the Holy Spirit, we, literally the Holy Spirit came in and abided. And for the first time, I felt convicted. Like, if I stole from you, I was like, you stupid enough to let your bicycle out. You deserve to get stolen from. I cussed you. You deserve to be cussed. Punch you in the face because you were an idiot. You deserve to get knocked out. But then when I got saved, the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of me. Now, all of a sudden, I feel convicted for cussing you out. Like, I feel bad and dirty. I didn't have that before. Now, I have the Holy Spirit living in and abiding. I've been filled with the Spirit. When you become a Christian, you ask Jesus into your life. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. Then what happens is we see throughout the book of Acts and Scripture that there's a separate experience where we then can be baptized mode with the Holy Spirit where we actually get power. So some of you, you've been, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You feel convicted about your sin, but you can't stop it. So you keep going out, getting drunk, keep slapping your wife around, and you're like, uh, I feel bad about it. I feel bad about it. I wish I'd never become a Christian. I didn't feel bad about it then. Before I was a Christian, you know, I didn't feel bad about, not going, about going to church. I thought y'all were stupid. Now I don't ever go to church. I feel bad about it. Why? Because you're being convicted because the Spirit of the Lord lives inside of you. But the problem is you haven't been baptismal and you have no power to stop it. So, so that's why we take you to, through our encounter retreat to help you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because then all of a sudden you have power. What's the goal of power though? The goal of power is not so that you can just overcome sin. That's one of the benefits, but it's not the goal. The goal is that you can be a witness. Not that you can go witnessing. Not that you can do witnessing. That you can be a witness. It's a being verb, the word be, to be. Let me explain to you what it actually put in the middle picture that you can grasp. What does a witness on a stand do? What do they say? Look, all I know, man, I was sitting there having coffee. And all of a sudden, that car ran the red light, hit that dude right there, crashed. Then this dude jumped out, punched him in the face. I don't know if he's married. I don't know if he's on drugs. All I know is what I experienced, what I saw. You don't have to be Pastor Adam. You don't have to be a doctrinal guru. All you have to do is say, hey, bro, all I know is I used to slap my wife around. I used to mess around. I got full of Jesus inside of me. His spirit, spirit lives and abides inside of me. All I know is I used to be wicked. Now I'm different. You need the same thing. All I can do is tell you what I've experienced. So you can't get anybody saved. He saves people, not you and I. We're just to be. Just supposed to be. Paul said it like this in dealing with the Jews who would refuse to accept Jesus as the Messiah. He said, to, he said to the believing Jews, he said, listen, he said, let's provoke them to jealousy. In other words, the relationship's so good, God is so gracious to us, they're going to look around and go, all of our dead religion sucks. Let's do what they're doing. See, when you really have God in your life, 
your neighbors and coworkers and all, like, dude, what do you have that I ain't got? Like, why, why, how come you don't get drunk anymore? Man, I don't need to be drunk with wine. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't need to do all that anymore. Man, you don't even, you don't even, you don't even come back and talk with us anymore, you know, behind, behind the store. Man, I don't need that anymore. I don't need, I've, got, I've found the true love and the real power of God flowing. I can only just tell you what I've experienced. I, I don't have it all figured out. I slip up sometimes, man. The other day I wanted to murder this guy, but, man, God helped me and stuff. I don't have it all figured out, but I do know this. Once I was blind, but now I see. Once I was lost, but now I'm found. Now I'm a son. I'm, I'm not always the most obedient son, but I'm a son nonetheless. See, but what we've done is we've closed our heart, our schedule, and our life from hurting people. And the master said, go find them. Go compel them to come. There's still room. There's, aren't you glad there's still room for us? Aren't you glad he didn't shut the door on you and me? Aren't you glad about that? I'm so glad. 38 years ago, there was a man who sat through a message similar to this as the word of God was being brought forward. It tugged at his heart. So he said, you know what? I'm a very busy individual. I've got a wife and kids. I'm working two jobs to pay the bills. But I've got to, I've got to open my heart. So he started driving around the neighborhoods. Just asking God, what do you want me to do? And he saw this group of kids out playing in the field. So he stopped and he started talking to them. He said, kids, if... if if, if I got the bus from the church to come over here tomorrow morning, would you get on it and come to church? And some of them said, yeah. He said, all right, that's what I'm going to do. So he went back to the elders. He said, listen, please let me use the church bus. And they said, oh, insurance is going to be an issue. And, and you know, we don't have the money for gas. He said, I'll pay for the gas. I'll pay for it. But I, these kids, they said they might would come. And so they said, okay. They let him take the bus the next day. Only two or three kids got on the bus. And they fussed at him. The elder said, it's not worth the money, the time, and the effort for only two or three kids. He said, look, just let me do it a couple more weeks. They said, we'll give, you, we'll give you four weeks. And so he brought that bus, and he kept going out there and asking other kids to get on the bus and come to Sunday school. And it grew. And it only grew to about 10 or 15 kids. That man, at the end of that four weeks, the elders told him, you can't do it again. You, it's done. You're wasting money. You're wasting our time. That man opened up his schedule. He opened up his heart. He opened up his resources. And a bunch of kids didn't get saved, but one little kid got saved. This kid that was the terror of the neighborhood. That kid that everybody wanted to whip. The parents wanted to whip him. Everybody wanted to whip that one kid. And that, that one kid got saved, got water baptized. That one little boy, that man's effort changed one little boy. That one little boy is your pastor. I'm that little boy. It was a waste of his time. He wasted his money. And by way of the standards of the elders, he wasted his resources and their resources. But friend, tens of thousands have come to know Jesus because one man opened his heart, opened his schedule, opened his time, and said, I, there's room for more in my life. I, I don't know the man's name. I've never interacted with him since. But one day in heaven, I'm going to stand there and shake his hand and say, thank you so much. And he will not believe the thousands that come into the kingdom because of his one moment of being open to helping someone. I'm not saying that every one of us need to go win thousands. I'm asking you to be like the servant and open up your heart and open up your schedule just to do what's important to the master. There's open seats at the banquet. And he would that none should perish, but all have eternal life. He bleeds from within, crying out that none would be lost, but all should come to eternal life. We are his hands and feet. The invitation's already gone out. The whole world RSVP'd, and they're not showing up. So he compels and asks us, excuse me, to go compel them to come. And friend, I, all I know is one man said, I'll go talk to some kids on the side of the road. Do you know he was in jeopardy being called a child molester? Think about that. But he opened up his heart. You've got coworkers, you've got neighbors that you don't have time for. And I'm asking you today to be like the serpent, servant and open up your schedule, open up your heart. There's room. Aren't you glad there was room for us? The rejection that I felt two weeks ago of not being good enough or important enough to get on that trip. I can't hardly explain, I can't imagine on that day when God separates them away and sends them to eternal fire. I can't imagine 
the horror that's going to come over you and me because that was our neighbor. And we didn't open up our schedule. Pastor Chris Hart is one of our leaders here at the church. is on our lead team. His wife's uncle, Mr. Bill, aging gentleman. This week they called him and said, hey, he's in the hospital. We're not sure if he's going to live. And Mr. Bill had loved, lived a rough life. He was a character as they graciously used the term about him. Pastor Chris is in one of the most difficult seasons of his life. And we were talking about it and he said, Pastor, I feel like God's telling me I got to go talk to this man and make sure he knows who Jesus is. Because they're not giving him but a couple days to live. He said, I don't have time for it. It's, I, I, there's so many things I got going. He said, but I don't think I could live with myself if I didn't do something. So he got in the car. He drove a couple hours to the hospital. Sat with this man. Man had made a decision when he was a child for Jesus. Pastor Chris sat there and confirmed the relationship with the living God. Prayed with him and the family. He left and came back up to the church. And within hours, that man was dead and in eternity. Right there on the cusp. Right there on the edge. Pastor Chris said, it was the greatest thing I've done in months. I opened my heart, opened my schedule just to be obedient. And as your pastor, we're going to be a life-giving church. We're going to love the community. We're going to love your friends, your neighbors, your family members. I commit to this gathering, when we do gather, that it's inclusive and not exclusive. I commit to not have worship be only one style that only some people like. I commit not to preaching a way that the people that are hurting go, yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Or, man, he seems so judgmental. I commit to spank everybody who's mean and doesn't act nice and say, hey, look, find another church, but surely don't stand at our front door and be, be an idiot like that. I commit to that. And I want to ask you for a commitment. Three things I want you to do. Write these down for me. Number one, I want you to pray for those people that you have in your life that you know are in hurting and away from God. I want you to pray for them every day. And I'm not, I'm not asking you to go get them saved. I'm asking you just to pray for them. Because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I would draw all men into myself. I want you to pray for them every day. Your coworker, your neighbor. Say, man, I can't stand my coworker. If you started praying for them, God would soften your heart and probably change their life. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to commit today to do this with me. To reach out to them. To reach out to them. Hit them up on Facebook. Hey, man, I just was thinking about you. A couple weeks ago, <clears throat> I was speaking to this individual, and we mentioned a friend that I knew way back in the day. They said, hey, I, I think they've gone through some real tragic things recently. I said, do you have an email address for them? They said, yeah, and they sent it to me. And I emailed this person. I'm a bit, listen, whatever busy you are, I promise you I'm more busy. I promise you. I said, but I felt like, God, i got to make room for this person. i got to be like Jesus in this. And so I emailed him. I said, hey, listen, I know you hadn't heard from me in forever. I saw so-and-so, and they said it's been a tough couple years. And I just want you to know that somebody's praying for you. I just want you to know that somebody's thinking about you and praying for you. They hit me back immediately. You could literally feel the hot tears coming down their cheeks. OMG. I've not had anyone tell me. They care to fly and flip about my life in years. I can't believe that you would be praying for me. Thank you so much. Now, where is your church at? It's amazing. I just opened up the space in my heart, in my schedule, just, just a little bit. I just reached out. Just reached out. And here's the third thing, and that is invite them. Invite them to be in your life, man. Invite them to come have dinner with you and your wife. Invite them to stay after school because their mom's a single mom. Invite them to stay after school with your kids. Yeah, that's more sandwiches. And yeah, that's more destruction. And yeah, they're the bad kid on the team. But open up your heart. You may be the only Jesus that kid ever sees. Invite them to your small group. Invite them to church on the hill. In fact, today as you exit, I've had printed up just some little church on the hill, just little pieces. It says the name of the church, the address, the website, and the times we have service. 
Just drop it off to a person that, that you love and that you care about. Say, listen, you know, we've been going to this good church. It's pretty good. And I know you're not really into that, but check it out, man. I just, just, just wanted, wanted you to know that there's, there's some people out there that are the real deal. They're doing their best to serve God. We're not perfect, but just wanted you to know about it. Just invite them. This grandfather and the grandson are out at the beach. And the night before, there had been a big storm. And because of the storm, it had washed up all of these starfish up on the, on the beach. They were some of the first ones because the little kid, you know, gets up at 6 a.m. and got Grandpa up. Mom and Dad stayed sleeping in the beach house. Grandpa said, let's go walk on the beach. And as they're walking on the beach, as soon as they walk out, as far as you can see, starfish. Beached. Dying. As the sun comes out, it's going to kill every one of them. And they're trying to survive. They're breathing their last breath, beached up on that beach. And so the grandfather begins to pick them and throw them back in the water. And so the little boy starts trying to help him. And they go not even 100 yards. And this little five, six-year-old boy is exhausted. He can't hardly pick up another one. And he looks down, and as far as you can see, a mile or so, the whole beach is just full of starfish that are going to die. And the little boy gives up and he says, Papa, what's it matter? Look at all of them. What's it matter? We can't make a difference. The grandfather picks up one and throws it in the water and says, it matters to him. It matters to him. Thank God for that man who went through the neighborhoods reaching out to kids. It matters to me. You may not save all of them, but there's one that you've been gifted for, anointed for, that speaks the language you speak, that can only understand what you have a witness of, not what Pastor Adam knows, but what you know, what you've experienced. And it'll change their life forever. Would you stand with me all across the room? If you'd be so gracious with me and just close your eyes and bow your head. I want to do that to create a safe space for you to think, to concentrate, to pray. I've gone a little long today. Seems to be happening more lately. I want you just to stand there before the Lord, knowing that where two or more are gathered, there he is in the midst. As your pastor, I love you so much. And I know that there'll be this moment on that day Well, Jesus will confront you and me on, did we obey him? See, the last thing that Jesus commanded right before he ascended was he told us as his followers to go and make disciples. When we stand there on that day, he's not going to ask us, how well did you do in your education? How big of a house did you build? How many cars did you buy and how much money did you make? He's going to ask us, did you do what I asked you to do? Did you make disciples? You're not going to be able to say, well, yeah, I gave good money to the church and they helped some missionaries. No, no, no. What did, did you make a disciple? Did you compel someone? Did you open your heart to your cousin who would only listen to you? To the guys that you worked with? Did you, did you show them that I had a place for them at my table? Did you tell them Did you compel them about how great it would be? It's my job as your pastor to call you into this truth. It's my job as your pastor. I don't want to be standing there on that day and you turn to me and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that, that I had the ability to influence and to love? Why did you just ask me to give a little bit of a tithe and, and that you would do the rest for me? Why did you, why'd you do that to me? I'm not going to do that to you. I love you too much. So right where you stand with your head bowed and your eye closed. Who has God put in your life that needs to be compelled? Who, sh- who can you start praying for every day? You can't save them. You can't convince them to come to the banquet. He said, Master, they refused to come. They came up with all kinds of excuses. He said, all right, well, go find somebody else. Keep moving. Spaces are are available. 
I used to get bogged down with those who had excuses. I used to get so frustrated at them. I was, I was mad at myself that I, I must not have been convincing enough. And then I realized that Jesus himself had those who rejected his truth, that had excuses. And so I just kept moving to the next person God gave me influence with. And so today, who do you have influence with? Who can you compel? Who does God, who has God brought into your relationship line to be sure that they don't miss out on the great banquet? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we'd be people of prayer. Lord, that we, Lord God, a lot of us are doers, so we want to immediately go out and fix the problem. But Lord, the starting point is just to pray, to ask you to tenderize their heart, and then from there to engage with them relationally. It's just just going to spend some time with them. And then from there, Lord, to invite them into a relationship with us, into a relationship with you. Jesus, I just pray, Lord God, that men and women in this room, those watching by way of live stream, those at the other campuses, that would catch your heart, that would understand your truth. Lord, this is not my truth. I'm not trying to build church on the hill. I just know the heart of the Father is angry because there's open seats at his great banquet. And as your servant, my heart is your heart and I don't want any to perish either and Lord I pray that your people that your heart would be their heart and their heart would be your heart and that Lord God that they would too open up space in their lives to help hurting people we thank you for the beautiful benefits they're wonderful but Lord but Lord at the same time uh, we prepare ourselves oh God the great banquet that awaits is wonderful and with your head bowed and your eye closed, maybe you say today, Pastor, I've got to be honest. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that, that I would make the great banquet. Pastor, I've got to be honest with you. I don't have a relationship with Jesus like you've been explaining. I've gone to church. I've said some prayers. But I don't know him. I, I don't have this relationship that you seem to exude. Friend, I, I lived a season of my life without it. I know exactly the misery the confusion. I know what it's like to go to church and not know God. But I got, I got good news for you. You're just a prayer away. Miss Jamie talked about crying uncle. Mercy. It's really submitting to God. It's this wonderful experience. And if you're away from God today, I want to give you an opportunity to know him as your Lord and Savior. So what do I have to do? The Bible says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ the son of the living God. He'll forgive you, he says, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You're just a prayer away. You don't have to perform for him. You don't have to give money to the church. You don't have to do services. Not for a relationship. You just cry out. And he, he responds. In fact, he's already paid for it all 2,000 years ago on the cross. Yours is just but to receive. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you come to the conclusion that you're not a Christian, that if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven, if you're of the opinion that maybe you used to be a Christian, but life happened and you've walked away, you feel divorced or separated from Jesus, I, I want you to know he's, he's, he's calling you home. He wants you back. He didn't, dis- he didn't sign the divorce papers. He wants you back. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to pray you, pray with you and reconnect you to the living God or connect you for the first time. What I'm asking you to do is make a deep, serious decision. I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you. I don't want to point you out. This is, this is you and God, man. But I would ask that you would acknowledge it to yourself that you need to make this decision. That you would acknowledge to me as the pastor and to heaven that you're ready to serve God. So that as I pray and I lead you in that prayer, I know who's praying it with me. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Pastor, that's me. It's time for me to change. It's time for me to give myself to Jesus. I'm ready to become a Christian. With no one looking around, if that's you, would you just lift your hand across this room? I won't call you for it. Thank you, sweet love. I'm not going to embarrass Thank you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Anyone else? Thank you. Thanks for your honesty. God bless you. Thank you. Two or three more seconds. Thank you. I see you. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? Amen. Thank you. Put it back down. Thank you. Thank you. Put it back down. Two more seconds. Anyone else? Pastor, pray for me. I don't want to leave this place like this. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Amen. All the hands can go down now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. I want you to pray it out loud. In fact, I'm going to ask everyone in the audience to pray it out loud. Those of you that raise your hand, I want you to mean it with all of your heart. Forget everybody around you. Talk to your God. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, 
No, out loud. Jesus, today, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've sinned against you. And today, I ask you, please forgive me. Wash me clean. Today, I accept what you did on the cross. Jesus, I declare you are my Savior. I receive your forgiveness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in your book of life. I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand that had the courage to cry out to you, to humble themselves and say, I need God. Lord, I pray right now they would feel your peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I I pray that they would sense the joy of their salvation. They can walk out of this place. If something horrible happened and they were killed, they would immediately be ushered into your arms. You'd be holding them. I can't believe this. You say, oh, I love you. Thank you for responding to my love. God, I pray right now, in the days and hours ahead, when their mind starts trying to trick them and say, you didn't really mean that. You don't really, you're going to go right back to your old stuff. They can say, no, 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 no. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. And though I may trip up and though I may be, though I may sin, I no longer belong to that. I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Seal them with your Holy Spirit. Baptize them. Give them power. Daddy, I thank you for your great kindness in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.